Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. The message is entitled this morning, The Adventure of Faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Father, give us understanding of your word. And Lord, apply it to our lives personally, Lord, that we might be challenged, Lord, that we might take hold and desire obedience for whatever you call us to, Lord, that we might be found faithful in our time and our place. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We come to the end of a year, the beginning of a new year, it's just natural that we sit about thinking what we didn't get done last year and what we think we want to accomplish after the month of feasting, starting with Thanksgiving. Many of us think about, well, maybe I should go on a diet. Listening to Dr. Stanley this morning, he said, you know, the difference between accomplishing and not accomplishing what you set out to do is not desire, it is discipline. And we know that discipline is a grace from God. The Bible even says we should consider the path of our feet, that we should count our days. One of the great chapters in Psalm, Psalm 90, talks about the eternity of God and the brevity of man. And there he says, we spend our lives, says this in the King James, I love this, it says, we spend our lives as a tale that is told. And the older we get, the faster the story is being written. But then he says, so teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts unto wisdom. We might use our time proficiently. Paul wrote in Ephesians, he said, awake from the dead, sleeper, arise. And God will shine on you. Because the goal for every believer, we feel it in our heart, is that Jesus will say to us, well done. You did you fulfilled the purpose for which I saved you. You did it. We're going to read a little further as the Lord gives us time, not this morning. But it says when it's talking about Abraham and all those that did not receive the promise, because they were faithful, God is not ashamed to be called their God. What a thing. None of us are ever worthy of God's salvation and redemption, but the fact that we can be, that we can make God proud. What a thing. As we come to this year, I think it's natural because as a church, we ask you to pray for our elders, and we're serious about that. We're not playing. We're serious. We need you to pray that God would show us where he wants to lead us. So we're not wasting his time. We're not spinning our wheels. We're not running out ahead of him. The difference between I think what a lot of people come from congregational rule churches, and this doesn't have to be this way, but a lot of times they'll think, well, it's the American way. Well, American doesn't make it biblical, right? And, you know, every church has its own persuasion, whether you're congregational or your elder rule. The goal is the same. Not, and I think this is probably by evolution, but I don't think God ever intended in a congregational church for the people to say, well, what do the people want? 
Because it's not our church. It's God's church. In our church, we're elder rule. And we're serious. We're not looking for what Paul's idea is or what the elders' idea are or what your idea is. We're to take care of the flock of God by teaching the Word of God and lead and feed where God is leading us. And so we covet your prayers. We're seriously, please pray for us. Because we've made mistakes before. We have. You know, God is so gracious. He didn't say, I'm sorry, you made a mistake. We're done with you. He loves the people that love to please him and desire to follow him. The thing about following the Lord in the life of faith, it is the greatest adventure. That's why in our youth program years ago, we decided we're not here to entertain. And, and you know, we do some fun things because Jason's just a fun guy. Not a fun guy, but a fun guy. But the center of our youth ministry, the center of our Sunday school ministry, the foundation of every ministry in our church is the teaching of the Word of God. I think years ago, years ago, before most of us were born, the idea for youth programs were to kind of entertain the kids, keep them around long enough so later when they get bored and they got nothing else to do, they'll stay in the church. What a bad philosophy. I was at a pastor's conference years ago in California, Grace Community Church, and the youth pastor at that time, Scott Artavanis, got up and he said, that way five miles is, is Hollywood. We decided a long time ago, we can't compete with that. We're not going to, but we have something greater. The adventure of the life of faith. It's very simple. You don't have to be a theologian. It's like old Coach Detai used to tell us all the time, the important things in life are simple. They're not easy. It says here, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. Paul said that was his whole job. He was given grace to be an apostle, to bring about the faith of obedience among the Gentiles. The faith of obedience. That's faith. It's obeying God. It's not trying to think up big ideas for God. I know big uh, all kinds of Christian books written by megachurch pastors have been written about getting a big, huge, audacious goal. Making sure it's God's size. Well, the problem with that is the Bible tells us that we can't even think like God. Tom is in a Bible study. And a fellow said, well, you know, I just think heaven. To the individuals, the greatest thing that that individual ever thinks it could be. I said, absolutely not. You know, like you make up your own heaven, just whatever your thought is, that's what heaven's going to be. Why? Because we're fallen. The Bible says, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for me. You can't even imagine. But it's willing to be on the adventure. That was the invitation of Jesus. If any man would follow me, let him what? Deny himself. Throw away the idea of having a secure, snug lifestyle. Throw it away. It's not that God doesn't provide comfort. He does. He's the God of all comfort. But that's not the goal. Because this life isn't the destination. Abraham obeyed. 
He just obeyed. He's called the father of faith because he obeyed. Now, when you read the account in Genesis 11 and 12, and when Peter preached in Acts 7, you see that he got to know God, he began to follow, and then he stopped because of pressure, probably, we can only guess, from his father, because God told him, I want you to get away from all your family. So, took his father and his nephew, and then went a little ways, and then his father died there, and then the first verse of Genesis 12 said, and God talked to him. And he said, Abraham, I want you to get up, get away from your family. I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And it says here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, or excuse me, verse 8, when he was called, he obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. I mean, don't we just kind of not want to know where we're going? That's where we have budgets. And I think budgets are pretty good. I mean, as we get larger as a congregation, Don as the administrator has to do a lot more work. When I came here almost 32 years ago, we had a business meeting every Wednesday. What a drag. So you could always figure out who the guy was that just gave an offering because he's, hey, how come the heat is so much? Because it's cold. You know? Every week, because we've got to worry about that money. God, we only have so much. Remember, we had $10,000 in the bank. And it was like this nest egg we couldn't touch. In fact, one year, I don't care, this is kind of an interesting story. Uh, they said, uh, let's not give the pastor a raise because that's permanent. Let's just give him a little bonus. Whatever. Because, we don't, you know, we don't know what's coming next year. So I think our budget in those days was about 20000 a year, and mine was 15000 of it. And uh, let's not get scared. Let's just control things. I remember when we finally spent it because we bought a van for our youth ministries. And we spent it. And a couple of our guys, Wade was one of them. I'm so glad that money's gone. And before you know it, it was back in there again. Because you cannot give the Lord if you're just found obedient. But you see, we like things to be safe. And about the time a church gets into a building that it's affording, they're making the payments on or it's paid for, that's where there's a danger of getting into a rut because we don't want any more adventure. You know what a rut is? A rut is a grave with the ends kicked out. And that's when people begin to say, whoa, what are those elders doing now? I'm not saying that we take lightly the responsibility of the tithes and offerings of God's people, but see, it's not yours, it's God's, Right? And even if those men make a mistake and they misspend on something, God is able to put more in there. And I'm so thankful I serve with a group of men, elders. Their number one question is not how much does it cost, but the question is, is it God? Is this God telling us what to do? You need to be praying. We have opportunities for a church like ours that is just mind-blowing, more than we could ever ask or think. We have land that's been offered to us, maybe for a Spanish church, we don't know what, down where we baptize. And I realize that means we'd have to tear down what's there and rebuild. I don't know what the Lord's doing. We have the opportunity of land on the best corner in West Laramie to maybe build 
a community center over there to minister to that side of town where those, a lot of those people are too poor to get to that side, this side. Now, a lot of you live over there and you have the money to come here, but some of them don't. It'd be a whole other ministry. And David's church over in Germany, they need a building. They need a bigger place. But stuff in Germany costs more than it even costs in Laramie. They found a building finally just to find space. They found a building, and it's about 4 million euro. And our first thought is, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Who's got that kind of cash laying around? That's not the question. The question, is it God? Is it God? See, we want to play it safe. We want everything secure. We want to know all the bills are going to be paid. We're going to have plenty left when we retire. Well, here's the question. How do you know you're going to live that long? A lot of Christians like to throw this word around stress. And it's kind of a warning. You know, uh, we say if mom is not happy, nobody's happy. And so what Christians, what moms like to say is, boy, I'm really stressed today. And what that means is everybody walk lightly. Right? Just back off and walk lightly because mama is stressed. Well, let's be honest. Why don't you just pray honestly? You know, whether it's a new job you're starting, or it's where God might be leading you in your ministry. Instead of using the word stress, because we understand that we kind of use that, why don't we just say, you know, God, I don't trust you to take care of me today. I don't trust you know what's going on, so I'm going to figure this out myself, and right now I'm in a panic. I am afraid because I can't trust God. Well, well, well uh, we, no, we wouldn't pray that, would we? And yet we can throw stress around like that's okay because all the world is stressed. And yet David being chased by his own son there in Psalm 3, and everybody thinks the tide is turning, the king's going to die, and Absalom's going to take over. David, as he calms himself, as he did in the Lord, you see this all the time, sometimes he starts out praying, Lord, where are you? You're so far from me, I don't think you're there anymore. Where did you go? But as he prays, his heart is reminded of the faithfulness of God and David's heart is reminded, everybody else can say there's no help for him with God. But you, O oh Lord, you're a shield about me. You're my glory. Lord, lift my head. And you know what God loves to do? He loves to have you think you're all by yourself. And then he just loves to meet your need all by himself. Because what happens then? You become his, you're all in all. He becomes God to you. Because he ministered to you without anybody else. And next time you come to a trial, you can say, well, we've been here before. You see, you're, gonna know, you're not going to know what God wants you to do if you don't know God. So it's all kind of wrapped up together. It's not separate. It's not just studying and knowing about God, knowing some facts, and then later figuring out what to do, it's all wrapped up together. It's following him as he leads step by step, and that's how you get to know God. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it an awesome thing to be justified, to know our sins are paid for, and to have peace with God, but not only this, but not just this. Then Paul says, we glory in tribulation also. Why? Because that's where you get to know God. See, if you want to play it safe, 
And just not be challenged, because I think that's what's being preached in a lot of pulpits. Never be challenged. God wants you to give you your cushiest life now. He just wants to give you everything your carnal heart desires so you never have to be stressed. And you can reach heaven and say, oh, praise God, I never had a trial in my life. And there may be some Christians that slide in that way, saved so as by fire. But they don't get the same opportunity to know God. Paul said, in those trials, we glory in those trials because those trials were patience. What is patience? The ability to endure pain. He gets you stronger. It's just time in the gym. If you go in the gym to work out and you don't stress and and cause pain to your muscles, you're not going to grow. So sometimes when you're in a test, don't say, Lord, why me? Just say, okay, Lord, help me get this one. Paul had come to the place in maturity in his life that he had enjoyed the gym because he knew what was going to work out. What did it work out? Faith works patience, patience experience, and experience hope. For the next trial coming along, you're in this trial, you know, we've been here before, and my God is able because I've experienced his ability before. And hope makes not a shame because the love of God is spread abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit that's given unto us. You have more capacity for God's love, more capacity for the trial, and you know there's nothing that shakes God up. Nothing. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 46.10. It just says, be still and know that I am God. He's God. Now, Abraham didn't have a lot of experience. He was not, faith was not passed down to him. And there's really no excuse for that. I'm so thankful he passed it on. Sam was telling me this morning in his study from their Bible study that his grandfather outlived him. His grandfather knew Noah. But somehow he didn't pass his faith down because the Bible says to the Jews, look to the pit from which I drew you out, Isaiah 51. He was an idolater like all the idolaters around him. God just said, I'm saving this one said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. How are you going to do that? I can't even have kids. Step at a time. One step at a time. He went out not knowing where he was going. Do you like that in your life? Not knowing where you're going. God calls your husband to go be a missionary. Maybe just calls to be a pastor and you're going to go study in seminary. What's that going to be like? I remember being in, seminary, in, in Bible college and got a job. Everything was working out good. And everybody got laid off. Next morning, I got up, put my little tie on to go to school. And Chris says, what are we going to do now? I said, I was as scared as she was. We had three, three boys. And I said, you know, I don't know. I don't know, Christy. I guess this is where we're going to learn about faith. They were giving us facts in school, but we're going to learn. And you know what? God never let us down. And what I remember about Bible college, you know, I remember Dr. Bookman, the different teachers. I don't remember the classes that much. What I remember is how God met our needs, how God provided for us, which gave me the strength to come and think at 29 I could pastor. Now, I really never thought I could do it. I figured somebody's going to find out, and I'd be pushing cows before you know it. I really did. I thought, 
And God kept me here because I'd have been happy to, after getting a hold of some of the ordinary people I got a hold of, I'd have been happy to be a cowboy again. Just, you know, cow doesn't like give him a hot shot, you know. Can't do that to folks in church. Get in the chute. And I remember in the beginning, the, the, the pressure of being a young pastor thinking I had to have all the answers. I was so relieved when I finally found out, no, no, no. You have a personal relationship with Christ. I can tell you what the Bible says as much as I know, but eventually you're going to have to check with God. You're going to have to check with God. And you know what? God wants to lead you. Is your shepherd. You see, Abraham didn't know where he was going, but God did. He didn't know about all the trials, and he was not perfect. Abraham made some big-time mistakes. But you know what God remembers about him here? His obedience. Isn't that a blessing? You see, because Jesus paid it all. He's washed all your sins away. He's removed as far as the east is from the west. And even as a believer, you're going to stumble. You're going to sin. But what God's going to remember about you is your faithfulness. What a What grace. He went out not knowing where he was going. This year as a church, I'm not sure exactly what God's going to do. I do not have agenda. I gave that up a long time ago. Here's the deal. We don't need a building to be a church. I am so thankful for this building. Every time we have a prayer meeting, I hear somebody thanking the Lord for the building. Now, if we lived in Costa Rica, that wouldn't be a big a deal. All we need is a fan and a roof. But you kind of need walls in Laramie. You kind of do. People would not be paying much attention if their ears are dropping off like peanut brittle because it's so cold here. We need a building, but we don't need this building. And we live in times where we're surrounded by dangerous people that want to take your freedom away. And we can get all stirred up. How can we make laws so nobody can touch us? You can't. You can't. And there are many people throughout, I would probably say most believers have not enjoyed the security of having a building like we have throughout time. We're thankful for all he provides for us, but every year we want to say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? What is God doing? He went out not knowing where he was going. Then secondly, he lived like an alien. He was in the land of promise, but he never put roots down. How come? Because God didn't tell him to. He didn't put roots down. Now listen, many of you, like myself, have served in the military. And I still get emotional when I hear the national anthem, I love my country. Many of us signed up to die if need be to protect our families. But this isn't the final destination this world is not our home. And as our government turns its back on the truth, the Bible says, all the wicked will be turned to hell and all the nations that what? Forget God, those that knew God and then forgot about Him. See, we're smarter than God today. Even unsaved people around us think, what is going on? That's why it's an opportunity for truth. But in spite of our nation not recognizing that it's founded on the principles of God, our king still sits on the throne. And we still have opportunity to be faithful in our time and our place, but we need to get the attitude like Abraham 
They can take all your rights away. And they can't take your life in Christ away. They cannot separate you from the love that's in Christ Jesus. And we need to focus on that so we're not so distracted by Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and everybody else. So you live in fear. What does God want for your life? He lived in a tent. Hey, people built buildings in those days. Why did he live in a building? Why did he hold on to life so loosely? Because he was available to follow God whenever God was moving. Is that the way you hold things in your hand? Say, hold it, pastor. You just need to stop talking right now because I got my house decorated just the way I need it. Right? So let's not be talking about moving where God might call. I cannot imagine a guy who's a football player who just wants to keep his uniform clean and sit on the bench. He might be on the football team, but he's not a football player. I heard a story as I was watching the, the Stanford game about Christian McCaffrey. As a freshman, he came in there expecting to play. And he loves to play because he's a football player. And he said, I want to play, coach. And the coach said, well, you better get in the gym. So you know what he did? He got in the gym. And this year he broke every all-purpose record there was. And you know, he's kind of like the sweetness used to be. The sweetness, Walter Payton used to say, why run around it when you can dish it out? See, that's a football player. I can't imagine a football player just wanting to keep his uniform clean because he looks so good in his uniform and sit on the bench. When I was in the sixth grade, I went to every junior high football practice because I couldn't hardly wait to get there. And then I got some of my friends were a year ahead of me, and then I began to see the cleat marks they got. And one of my buddies, Gary Day, lost his football helmet making a tackle, and they got a heel in the face, and his face was all swollen up. And I'm like, ooh, might cost something to be a football player. But I was always amazed because they say, hey, look at this, man, cleat marks. My boys would come home with bruises from high school football, and their mother would say, oh, that's so stupid, that football. And I remember Ben saying, oh, okay, Mom, we're stupid. No, I don't mean you're stupid, but why do you go out there and they're hurting the little bodies that she used to diaper, you know? And then they passed it on. My, my grandson, I said, you know, Harrison, why don't you just play golf? I've coached football long enough, seen some injuries, and it just, why don't you just play golf? He looks at me like, what? No, Papa, we're football players. That's what we do. Listen, as believers, we ought to want to be in the game, following Christ, making a difference, and it's going to cost something. But you know what, guys? It'll be worth it. The old gospel song says it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small. See, that's what the Bible says. This, this little suffering we get here cannot be compared to the eternal weight of glory. That's huge. We don't want to sit on the bench. Why do you want your life to be comfortable so you can slide into heaven and say, I never did anything for Jesus? We don't. That's just not in your DNA. It's Lord, I'm available. Abraham's called the father of faith because he just 
obeyed God. He didn't know where he was going. God might call some of us this year to go to another place to plant a church. Maybe overseas. This last week, I read a book. My son David and Jeremy said, Dad, you got to read this book. The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin about a IMB missionary that was in Africa and then God called him to check out Somalia. He said, if there's a hell on earth, it's in Somalia. I read that book and he said, you know, we never, we didn't see a big revival. I used to, I don't know if anybody even got saved. I just knew we were supposed to be there. Their, their oldest son, 16 years old, died in Africa of asthma attack. So they came home to kind of recuperate. While they were there, the question was in his mind, how do Christians, how can they be so strong in persecution? Because he wanted to know, how could God really establish a church in Somalia where there's so much hatred and devastation and pain? And So he went to Russia, and he talked to Christians that suffered for so long. He ran into an old believer. He said, you guys need to be writing these stories down. And that old pastor looked at him. He said, don't you read the Bible? I'm a missionary. He said, ours is just, this is the way it is. This is part of the story already. We don't need to write it down. He went to China. He found the same thing. Strong believers. That kind of trial may come to the United States. You know what's going to happen with the winds of trial? It's going to blow the chaff away. It's not going to destroy the church. Because true believers cannot stop. They cannot deny their Lord. And that's not because we're so strong. It's because that's what he's put inside. In Russia, he found there were a lot of churches that really didn't have much persecution because they did everything the government told them to do. Like, don't let anybody under 26 come to church. No. And so if you went along with that and you didn't share the gospel, you could could get along just fine. You wouldn't be sent to prison. I don't know what it's going to cost. The Bible does tell us in the last days, perilous times will come. We're living there. We know we have no guarantee as a nation to restore us, but we know that God is able to bring us an awakening. But what he's called us to is follow him. Follow him. And then he passed it on. He lived in tents just like Isaac and Jacob did. He passed it on. Are you passing it on to your children? Are you sharing those trials with them? You know, when you just don't know. Maybe you've been in school and you don't know if you're going to make the rent payment. And yet the Lord says, put me first. And so you put him first and there's nothing left. And so you wait on the Lord to rescue you. Or God says, I want you to give to that over there, this person over there. And you just do it. And you say, okay, Lord, we're in trouble now. And God meets your need told of a story of a family that was separated from their father, and their father was sent to prison. And this little Russian family with their six children was sent to Siberia by themselves to live in a shack. And so one night she gathered her children around, and they had nothing to eat. They were crying, and they cried out to the Lord. Lord, you've said you'd take care of us. Read Psalm 37. Psalmist said, I've lived a long time and I've never seen the righteous lack for bread. So just pray to the Lord. And there was a pastor a little ways 
away in Siberia. And the Lord woke him up, said, you carry some food over there right now. Well, Lord, it's late. It's cold. What if something happens to my horse? I mean, you know, there are wolves out there. And God says, you don't have to come back. You just have to go. That's something, isn't it? You don't have to come back. You just have to go. And early in the morning, he probably scared the little family, knocked on the door, and just loaded them up with food. But we wouldn't have that story. It wouldn't be part of the fabric of what God's doing in the church even today if there wasn't a challenge. There wasn't a challenge. God may not call you to go. He may call you to sin. He may call you to live sacrificially here so that people that have never heard will hear because somebody else is called to go. But do you hold it loosely in your hand or does it own you? Well, I can't leave now because I just got my house paid off. It's, you know, we got things just where they belong. I got everything how it's supposed to be. Kids come over every, every weekend. We got this going. We got that going. And, you know, we got it. We got to settle. Lord, we're trying to be a testimony right here. And God calls you out of that just like he did Abraham. Listen, Abraham wasn't a poor man. He had things established. And went out. It wasn't like he moved just from Iowa to Wyoming. He moved to a lawless place. And the only security he had was the army he had with him. But even the more reason to stay where he was at. But he went out sharing his faith. And even though God had promised to that nation that he would become one day, he would never see it. He could live by faith because he looked for a city with real foundations whose builder and maker is God. Not about here. This is not the destination. As a dad, our boys were just involved in what was going on. The church is the center of our life. It's not that home is not important. It is important, but what God is doing is always excitement. So our boys grew up with New college guys in the church, you know, they just come to the Lord. They're in our house. They're trying to figure out what a Christian home looks like that because they didn't come to one. And so they grew up just thinking, hey, it's about people coming to Christ. That's what it's supposed to be about. That's what your home should be about. And we trained them to grow up and go have an adventure, and then they did. And we thought, what were we thinking about? You know, what were we thinking about? They're all over the world now having an adventure. And you used to think sometimes as a dad, you know, if I could just get like this place and they could all come home once in a while. And the Lord put it on my heart. Paul, that's heaven. It's good to get together as a family. We love getting together as a family. We're hoping maybe this summer we can get them in one place for a day and take a picture like we did three years ago with everybody and all the new babies that have come in. But heaven, that's that place to rest. Not now. We got work to do. We got work to do. And Abraham made his family business following God. And heaven, oh yeah, it's about the saints of all the ages. But more than that, heaven is about seeing God. Seeing God. Is that what you look for in heaven? Because your whole desire is to be faithful. If that's your desire, you're in a battle and you're looking forward to seeing Jesus one day. That's the destination. It's not just the place. Oh, it's a beautiful place. I, don't, I think when we get there, we're going to go, oh, good try, John. <laughs> good.
Good description. I don't think I could have done better, but that does words fail to describe what we experience here. But the greatest thing is to see Jesus. The builder and maker is God. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we face another year individually, Lord, stir us up to keep our eyes on you, not on the economy or on politics. Lord, we trust you for our government. We pray that you'd put righteous people in charge because you've said in your word that when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. But Lord, you're our king. And Lord, we we just want to live for you. Lord, we want to be found faithful as a church. Lead us carefully. Lead us so clearly we can't miss it. And Lord, continue to stir us up to that sense that we are on an adventure. That in all the things you put in our hand, we do it hardly as unto you. That we live with a sense, all this in heaven too. And Lord, we gather around the table now to remember all that we are, all that we have is because of you and because of your life, your shed blood that was given for us on the cross. And Lord, I pray that it would be a time of worship, a time of examination of the Holy Spirit in our lives to see if there be any wicked way that our hands would be cleansed to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, I pray that you would be blessed with our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.